This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. Hello and welcome to Sports Cutting Edge. Thank you very much for your company. We're here for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN, powering sport through innovation. Who dares wins? It's the Pete Hull fit stop story on the show today. Pete's a ripper. Like, this is a, an amazing story of a bloke under the age of 40 who has taken a very small business that started in a garage in Brisbane, a functional fitness gym, very small garage, little tin shed. He's gone from that, and now he's international, and his eye is on the prize of the Northern Hemisphere, the USA and UK Fit Stop. I know you would have heard of it. You would have seen it. You've got all the social media. They've got a huge presence. And for those of you that are obviously already members or Fit Stoppers, as they call them, uh, well, you know what I'm talking about. This is functional fitness. And Pete Hull, the secret to his success has been the way that he's innovated. He's dared when it comes to innovation and technology to seize the day and with his own tech setup, create a unique product for his consumers that specifically allowed him to power through COVID lockdowns. An amazing sort of feat, isn't it? You know, a physical existence, so crucial to a gym, you know, being able to rock up to a gym, do your thing, pay the bill, leave, uh, to be able to transition to that online. The way Pete did it is phenomenal. It shows that if you've got, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And Pete Hull as now, I mean, well, in the lead up to COVID, he had 22 gyms, which is not bad. He's gone from a tin shed to 22 gym franchise, right? COVID comes, lockdown. Now he's got more than 80 gyms. He's gone international. He's sizing up the UK, USA. Like, it's just a phenomenal story of a young bloke, an Aussie, who's achieved big, big things. Um, so Pete Hull, very shortly on the show. Before we do that, let's take a look at what's making news. The age of invisible computing has dawned. US company Mojo has trialled the first ever augmented reality smart contact lenses. Mojo CEO Drew Perkins was the first to undertake the trial. He says he experienced the future with invisible computing. The contact lenses give you a micro LED display measuring less than 0.5 millimetres in diameter with a pixel pitch of 1.8 microns and you control the display with the movement of your eyes. There are no headsets, remote controls or need for physical gesturing. They even operate when your eyes are closed. It's powered by rechargeable wireless micro batteries. CEO Perkins says there could be big possibilities to help people with vision impairment. And Perkins is also pitching the tech at amateur and pro athletes. He says that Mojo lenses can allow athletes to train smarter, stay focused and reach peak performance. This tech is only in trial stages and will need to face FDA scrutiny before receiving approval to become public. Smartball technology has made its debut in Test Rugby. Smartable's Smartball is being used in the current Australia v England series. This comes after the Smartball was used in Super Rugby earlier this year. 
Sportable's Aussie boss and regular guest on this podcast, Sterling Mortlock, told us earlier this year the opportunities for this tech are endless. And so it's proven to be. Rugby Australia CEO Andy Marinos says the introduction of the smart ball into test match rugby represents a real step change in the use of technology to better understand and explain the game. The smart ball is generating data that's informing real-time stats and insights in the broadcast of the match, also on screens in stadium and across social media channels. And Indianapolis Colts running back Jonathan Taylor has just invested in sports tech company Strive. Strive uses sensors inserted into compression clothing to track muscle activity, measuring and analysing that muscle data for athletes. They've just raised $6 million US in their Series A funding round. Up next, the founder of FitStop, it is Pete Hull. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge. For ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. I'm joined now by the founder and the boss of one of the fastest growing fitness businesses in the Southern Hemisphere. The business is FitStop. The founder is Pete Hull. Pete, welcome to the show. Mate, thanks so much for having me. Hey, it's extraordinary what you've done. Okay, so 2013, you start a gym in your parents' garage, a small tin shed. Then you build up nicely, you build up nicely. FitStop, you found that uh, specifically in 2017. And then leading into COVID, you're going along pretty well. you got 22 gyms. Now, COVID for gyms was an absolute wasteland, you know, and so crippling, so much pressure. But the fact that out of COVID, so you went in with 22, you're now sitting on 81 gyms. So out of COVID, you've grown incredibly. And I know you use technology as a, as a big mechanism to achieve that. Mate, you just must be on top of the world. I know you just got on a flight uh, to Singapore. You've just touched down. You've jumped on the show for us. And I appreciate your time. You must be loving life. Yeah, man, I'm, um, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I get to live my dream every day, um, you know, and, and, and starting as a washed up athlete, you know, moving into becoming a personal trainer and, and now being able to, to grow what soon will be a, a global fitness community. Um, you know, very grateful for where we are. Well, I want to talk about this. You, you're very nicely self-deprecating, but not a washed-up athlete. You're a motocross gun, but, you know, injury crueled your career. You had two bad accidents, two knee reconstructions. I want to actually talk about that. Tell us about your career in motocross, how much you love that, and how you were able to, I suppose, turn those experiences, the good and the bad, into what you're doing now. Yeah, mate. Look, I, I think growing up for me, it was it was all things sport, but really heavily engaged around motocross. You know, a bit more of an extreme sport. You are. Uh, I think what it taught me most is you hit the ground pretty hard, and you've got yeah. to get up very quickly and, and keep moving forward. And yeah. I think I apply a lot of that um, to how I, I now run a business. Right? We talk about COVID and all these other curveballs you face, but you know, you know, in school, kind of out of school, um, up to the age of 21, chasing the dream to become a professional athlete. Yeah. That's all I thought about. That's all I wanted to do. Um, I worked in the motorcycle industry. I tried to ride my dirt bikes, you know, two, three times a week. I was really fortunate that I didn't get to that kind of, you know, that next stage pro level, but I got to travel the US. I got to race every weekend. Uh, yeah. I got to have a bunch of fun with my mates and, and just really hungry for, you know, to live the dream as a pro athlete. But I um, had two knee reconstructions within the space of 18 months. And Jeez. after the second one, the, the surgeon turned to my, to my mom, who was uh, you know, 
kind of in, in the clinic at the time with me and said, I think he should probably grow up and, and, and think about uh, getting a real job. Um, so, you know, when, you, when, you, when, you, when the surgeon says that to my mum and, and talks about what life could be like if I have, you know, two, three or four knee reconstructions yeah. and the other injuries that come along with it, you know, was it really the most important thing in my world to keep chasing that dream or, you know, to consider what else there was um, for me? And that led me down the path of, going and studying to become a personal trainer and yeah. surrounding myself by some incredible industry leaders, uh, more in the sporting world. And, and, and I just really fell in love with teaching. And I guess as the saying goes, when you can't do any more, you teach. And, <laughs> and that, that, that was my path. And I'm, I'm actually really grateful for it. It sounds like it. It sounds like it, it was the best thing. Um, tell us about that transition. So, you know, you, you get into the PT, you're doing that. Well, you know, a lot of people do the PT thing and, and just keep doing it, but you decide to start your own setup. Can you tell us about that stage, please? Being a PT is incredibly tough. It's, it's big days, um, incredibly long hours and a lot of, lot of commitment. Um, yeah. for me, I really focused on a niche and that was working with athletes. Um, again, really fortunate. I got to work with some incredible, you know, motocross riders, BMX, triathletes. Um, in early days, you know, I was training with like of Logan Martin, who who mm. just won, you know, Olympic gold medals, and totally. still kind of doubles in training at, at FitStop now. But you know, I really fortunately got to train with some incredible people um, that were really striving for you know their next kind of chapter and journey in their kind of professional world. Got to travel a lot of the US, a lot of Australia. Hmm. Um, but for me, it was really exchanging your time for money and you needed to be all things to all people. So hmm. really early mornings doing one-on-one -on -one clients. I traveled a lot going to motocross tracks and and working with them kind of on and off off the bike as well. And and then, you, you know, you, you're back in the gym in the afternoon. So your day might start at 4 a.m. and it finishes at 9. Yeah. Um, then you go away for two months. You know, I'd go away for two months to the US and work for a team and then come back and you're restarting your business. And for me, I, I wanted to consider how I could start to scale this, how I could help more people and have more contact points yeah. um, through the process. So again, I was kind of fortunate in a way, the studio I was working out of um, at the time, it actually closed down, you know, unfortunately for them. But hmm. for me, it was, yeah, I, I turned up at 5am one morning to unlock the studio and there was just a sticky note on the door saying, sorry. Um, I looked in, locks had been changed and all the equipment had gone. And um, again, a, another big kind of you know transition for me was okay. Well, what am I going to do next? So I, mm -hmm. I then went and worked at a big box studio. Um, I paid my three hundred dollars a week rent to the guys to to use their facility to to train my clients out of. And you know, for me, when that contract ran up, I needed to understand was this culturally right for me? How I was training, what my clients needed. Um, and I decided to jump in the deep end and, um, you know, fortunately my, my now wife partner at the time sold her car. We, we funded, um, you know, I think it was $25,000 we pulled together to, to buy some equipment and I leased a, you know, industrial building, um, you know, at, at, in, in the suburbs and, and we got kicked off in, in group fitness cause I, I wanted to keep working with athletes. I wanted to expand my training philosophy and methodology to more people. And mm. you wanted to, to see what the kind of business owner world looked like. I want to come back to your girlfriend, now wife's Toyota Corolla in a second that you sold for 18 grand. That's a beautiful investment. But Logan Martin, I mean, he was sort of the coolest kids of the uh, kid of the Tokyo Olympics. Tell us what, what, what he's like and, and what it was like sort of seeing his journey. You know, you trained with him you know, a couple of years ago and you've seen him progress. You see him win Olympic gold. I mean, that must give you a lot of joy and pride on the inside too. Oh, Matt, he is the hardest worker in the room, no doubt. Um, absolutely taking no credit for that kid. He is 
um, he's a pinnacle of health, fitness, and sport. Um, mm. Yeah, the most in, insane athlete I've ever come across. But for, for, for us, our story, um, where it began was when I started that first studio, I, I reached out to more companies that I knew worked with professional athletes, part of their program. Yeah. So I was working with Red Bull. Um, he actually was a jet pilot athlete. Um, jet pilot was an, kind of an extreme sport athleisure wear. Um, still is, sorry. Yeah. Um, he was one of their athletes. I reached out to them. They sent me three of their athletes that lived on the Gold Coast, hmm. him being one of them. He came to me for, I think, three weeks to start off with. Um, he hadn't been exposed to that level of training in the past. Hmm. They suggested he came and checked it out. He decided it wasn't for him the first time. Yeah. Um, he then went away, um, had two injuries. And over the Christmas period of that year, he called me and asked if he could come and take the program a bit more serious. Um, came back to me, did a, an eight-week challenge. Um, we now do a six-week challenge um, with us. I taught him all the basics around how to move, how to stretch, how to train properly, um, you know, how to do his meal prep, um, hydration. Again, like all the 101s of, 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 of fitness. Um, and, and then he, he trained with us for that entire year um, and just really showed a level of discipline I haven't seen. So instead of just coming to my, my PT or, or, or coming and getting involved in group fitness, he would drive 45 minutes um, each way to come to our studio because he lived on the coast. Yeah. Um, every day he was taking his meal prep to the BMX tracks uh, parks. Um, he was coming, he was stretching, he was doing his foundational movements. He was doing a group session and he was driving home. Um, and I just really see, I, I guess I got to witness firsthand an athlete who was already disciplined, yeah. take that next level. And, you know, from there went on to start winning um, you know, a bunch of different competitions you know, bought a property, invested in the, in his own park. Like mm. he's just keeps going those next levels. And, you know, we, we still connect, um, I'd probably say on a monthly basis and check in with each other and, yeah. and kind of encourage each other to those next steps. But I'm really excited for what he's done for the sport and, and for, for himself and his family. Totally. And it's a beautiful insight you give, Pete, because that's the thing I think a lot of people would have seen Logan Martin for the first time in terms of mainstream world at the Olympics. And they see that, you go, oh, how good's that? That kid, geez, he's done well come out of nowhere good stuff but he hasn't come out of nowhere he's done like what you've said he's driven and you know physically and literally and done the hard yards to be able to get to what he was able to achieve the ultimate in sport the olympic gold medal it's a beautiful insight you give hey uh, pete you know like when you're training your professionals how much is it you holding the rein and how much is it they take control you know what i mean like a professional mm. athlete they they would like to be the master of their own domain but obviously you're yep. the expert in the field not necessarily with logan but in general yes. how do yep. you balance that out yeah for sure i think um yeah i think like everything we actually bring this philosophy into fit stop it's a personalized service in a group environment now a group for me is any form of team you have around you in fit stop it's a group session 36 people one trainer yeah. uh, for logan it's what team does he have around him that you're plugging into we're just an accessory to making sure that we yeah. can make tweaks and changes to the current program to identify how we can progress an athlete or what we call an everyday athlete, a fit stop member yeah. <laughs> um, to get to the next stage they need to be. And with Logan, it was just identifying that there was some fundamentals that he was missing, like his, his nutrition, um, how, how he plugged into his hydration, what his rest and recovery looks like, mm. and just giving him a really base program to be able to follow um, and for himself to be held accountable to that. So mm. I think for me, once we create that roadmap of this is where you are now and where you need to be, what an athlete does, they really grab that with both hands when they believe in it yeah. and they execute. Um, and that's the really important part. I've never been someone that 
you know, we'll have a conversation and, and I guess preach my firm views and you have to do it this way. Mm. Um, it's about that collaboration approach of this is where you are now. Where do we want to get to and what have we identified of how we're going to get you there? Very interesting. Hey, you, before you were talking about how, you know, the, I think it was the big box uh, gym you're at and you're sort of thinking, is this, you know, sort of culturally sort of where we want to be? Can you speak yeah. about that, that cultural aspect, what, or, you know, the importance of that and what you try to, you know, bring into uh, being with FitStop in that respect? Yeah, I think, look, for me, it was, it was working with um, dedicated individuals, whether it be a pro athlete or an everyday athlete and training them the way they needed to be. And again, this is going back to 2011, 2012. Um, the fitness space was quite different where, you know, a, a personal training session was built out in a way that it was very prescribed. Yeah. Um, it was in some ways very stagnant, but for me, I was training more in a dynamic way. So, you know, we would absolutely do a bunch of Olympic lifting and strength conditioning coaching, but we would also do a lot of agility. Um, I would focus a lot of balance and um, I guess overall core and coordination. Um, you know, for me, that was moving about, that was making noise, that was creating energy yeah. um, because that's what we're also passionate about in this space. And yeah, at that stage, it probably wasn't aligned with that kind of big box and standard personal training service that was offered. Yeah. Um, outside of that, I also did much more than just being in the gym. So I would train people in and out of the gym. I would physically go with them to their sport and yeah. I would monitor that. I would make sure they're wearing heart rate monitors. I could collect data. Um, so I was, I was not someone that was probably just in the gym doing the daily, um, and trying to build a business. I was more things to more people. Um, and that wasn't probably seen as being inclusive in that environment. I'm with you. Okay. So March, 2020 comes the roller doors come down on the world. You've got 22 gyms, obviously a physical setting. You're not able to open up. How on earth did you get through that? And now you've got 81 franchise. It's probably more because every time I read an article about you, it keeps updating. Like, seriously. It's, yeah, we opened our 82nd on the weekend, actually. Well, so. There you go. 82. Yeah. Um, tell us about the way you use technology to be able to power through and power on uh, during COVID. Yeah, so as, as we franchised um, the models, we, we launched the first franchise in 2017. So I opened the first two facilities, had amazing managers. Um, both of the, all, my entire team were ex-athletes of some level. Yeah. Um, and I've been able to build up this business and um, I guess start to create a micro impact. Mm. The reason we franchised was I wanted to create more of that for more people. So to have people like myself come through, be business owners, um, to have passionate people in the fitness space, whether it be coming from a corporate career and plugging back into what they were truly kind of, you know, put on this earth to do mm. um, and give that opportunity. But as we started to scale the business, again, some of my frustrations came in around how are we helping more people become fit stoppers? Yeah. And by using a out-of-the-box platform and billing system, we were really strung to a similar message in market and process to everyone else, whereas... Mm. For me, I've always kind of pushed against the grain and if there's a pain point um, or something that I'm frustrated with, I'll try and solve it um, purely to make the experience easier and more inclusive to what we're doing. So, um, you know, we were able to raise money early on. So about 18 locations, we raised a little bit of money um, and that was to fund people and also technology. Yeah. So at around 15 locations, we were a team of like five in office. Um, you know, I, I was all things to all people until location number eight. Then we started to bring some some people on board. But, you know, location number 15, we raised a little bit of money. Um, I bring on board a COO, really experienced COO from a, another fitness brand. Um, we go to a team of 10. 
and we focused on systems and processes because we wanted to make sure we were building a really scalable approach to franchising, a proven system that people would genuinely believe in, buy into, make a genuine impact in the fitness world, but also get a great return on investment. Yeah. Part of that for me was investing into our own technology stack where we could control the entire path to purchase, billing system, booking system, and then start to expand on that being our platform to again, create um, an experience like I was doing with my athletes, collecting data, showing them like Logan, that you're here now, but you could get to here if we follow this program, if we do these steps. So we invested in our own tech stack. This was uh, 20, uh, sorry, 2018, mm -hmm. mid-2018. Um, we start building it out with the first stage release being purely about a booking system and a billing system. Yeah. Uh, when it was, uh, so March, 2020, we had it in, in, in a testing phase with one location. And I was really fortunate that we're at a, a decent stage that March 20, uh, when it was 20, was it March 20th, 20? Yeah. 20? Um, when, when it, like you said, when our roller doors um, came down within two days, we we're actually able to launch into market fit stop at home because we owned our own technology platform. So we were able to engage with 60% of our current membership base to re-sign up to fit stop at home. Mm -hmm. The most important part about it was because we owned the functionality, we could keep the same member experience. So our members could sign up and pay for our service. We gave them a 50% um, discounted rate to do this, mm. but they would book in their weekly sessions via the app. So they would keep routine and discipline. Yeah. But instead of walking into the fit stop, they would wake up in the morning or in the afternoon when they wanted to train, they would open the app, they would open the calendar and they'd press launch session in app. That would then open up into Zoom. They would see their trainer there waving at them, all their friends, um, their community that they were there to train with. And they would get on with it. So for me, it was about keeping people safe, keeping people moving, keeping them connected. Yeah. And in turn, that flowed then funds through to our business owners, which kept us all flourishing in business. Um, so that's how we kind of got through. At the same time, we actually, um, we were doing a brand refresh at the same time. We were a very grungy brand to start off with, motocross background. Mm. We wanted to really kind of grow up, become the home of functional fitness. And we wanted to change you know, some of our, our, our tone, our language, um, our brand messaging mm. and the, 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 the tones and, and feel of, of the actual physical locations. But it's much easier to rebrand 22 locations digitally, right, overnight <laughs> than kind of roll it out. So we, we really used kind of that COVID experience to rip the Band-Aid on two key projects. And that was migration onto our new platform yeah. and a rebrand. Um, we did it all within 48 hours. And probably for the first time, we kind of really stood out from the crowd um people really started to notice that one we genuinely gave a about our members hmm. um and two we innovated extremely quickly faster than anyone else in the world and and we went to market with fit stop at home extraordinary 48 hours so was this your idea to rip the band aids like tell us about that the the thinking that went into it because that's a big thing with technology and innovation you know once someone does it, it's easy to follow the pack but to be the one to make the call. Like, tell us about that, your thinking, your process, and maybe some people listening will get some lessons out of this. Tell us the thinking. Well, look, I think when, um, you know, when our roller doors, you know, to your point, got, got shut, it was, that was a really challenging time for me. This was, you know, watching my baby, um, mm. you know, just, you know, almost feel like it was getting ripped away from me. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, I remember, you know, turning to, to my, my wife back um, at the time and, you know, just, probably for the first time in my life, not having an answer. Um, yeah. yeah and, and she looked at me and said, you'll work it out, dig deep, you know, what's right for, 
I always talk about the members. You're like, what's right for the members? What's right for our owners? You'll find a solution. And, mm. um, you know, I started to look at what, what was happening in the world of fitness and how kind of, you know, not just fitness, but other companies started to, to talk about supporting their networks and brand messaging. And, mm. and there, was ab- we, there was absolutely different markets across the world talking about engaging with their communities. And, you know, we saw straight away the likes of Instagram lives, um, you know, happening and, and Facebook lives and Facebook groups and, and trying to keep people connected. And I thought that was great, but, and that, that solves a problem for our members, um, but it doesn't solve a problem for our owners. How do we create something that has enough value and consistency that someone's going to pay for? Mm. Because that's the business I chose to enter into. First and foremost, I'm the PT. I'm going to care about the member. The second bigger responsibility I took on was franchising. And that's to make sure I can keep the doors open, food on the table for every single person that invested into us. Mm. Um, we were lucky that we had this tech stack um, and I was able to work with some pretty intelligent people to, to work a really simple way that we could add a functionality to launch a simple Zoom session. Right? Um, but we could control that mainly through the habit of a member booking into that system. Mm. And by doing that, allow us to debit them a certain amount of money. Well, it's the vision you had to begin with, the fact that you embarked upon you creating your own tech stack, you know, about 18 months ahead of when, you know, it hit the fan. Um, and, you know, I love the fact that you're able to to get in. So you have 22 businesses into COVID. You're at 82 now. So how were you able to, you know, once things did start to open up, how did you transition back to the physical world and grow so exponentially? Tell us about that, please. Well, I think it was the same. Like, so we went into it, uh, you know, the, the day that we got locked down, um, you know, I just, we pushed a message to our owners, our trainers, our managers, everyone to say, guys, uh, I think it was like 11 o'clock at night, right? We all got kind of that, that mm-hmm. word that, you know, the next day we're shut down, but we're, we're cooling off for a bit. Um, we're going to write it out. So we, we just pushed, pushed um, an email out saying, I would do a Zoom call at 8.30 and I'd have answers for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. And if not, we would chat through it. And it was at that time I, I said to the market, guys, all I want us to focus on is um, I want us to focus on whenever we come out of this, because we will, I want us as a brand to be known for the fact that we kept our members safe, we kept them moving, and FitStop was there to support. Uh, we were the we were their North Star, we were the grounding position, because we know, we know that fitness really is all about that mental health position. Mm-hmm. It's about showing someone they can progress and it gives them confidence. Nothing needs to change because we can't see them physically. Mm. We'll work a solution and that solution we did. Because we did that and we first thought about our member, our community and how we could stay together, mm. FitStop became so strong. Um, we were so connected and it wasn't just for, from a, uh, a, a brand positioning point of view. It was the fact that we connected with every single person that was part of our network. So from a trainer through to an owner, mm. every single day for the first 30 days. I did a Zoom call at 9 a.m., every day for the first 30 days where we would talk about what's the next 24 hours look like? Mm. How do we support it? What are the metrics telling us right now? Um, what can we focus on? What initiative do we want to do? Um, and we all lent on each other. You know, there was definitely emotional times through there where, you know, we would have owners wanting to, 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 to vent and to, to put their opinions forward and we would listen and we mm. would learn. I would definitely make mistakes and put my hand up and apologize, but we would go again. Yeah. Because we did that and our message was so strong and I think authentic in market, as we came out of it, it was almost like this incredible re, re, reigniting of the brand. Mm. 
-hmm. Everyone was reunited. Everyone wanted to come back and see each other. We were trusted. And I think that's really important mm. that they, people knew, our members knew when they came back, we would look after them even more. So when we said we were sanitizing, we had cleaning methods in place. We were you know, capping our sessions. We were putting more things on. We were wearing masks. It was like, we'd already built that trust and credibility that it was just a given that cool pit stop will look after us. There's no question. Let's go. Yeah. And that's, and it's important, I think, to put it into context for people because like, by June, July 2020, Zoom and online stuff was just the norm. But, you know, you pulled the trigger in March where it was much more at that precipice stage. Um, and you you and and plenty around the world helped to create that norm that now we, we still live in to, to a large extent. Okay, so you're in Australia, you're in New Zealand. Tell us about the future of FitStop because you're growing fast. There's a very, very big market in America. There's a lot of love of fitness and yeah. of doing things that are sort of on the edge, like what you do, because it is, you've got that, that dynamic nature and feel to your business, functional fitness. What's uh, the future look like for you, Pete? Yeah, look, so um, it was actually through that COVID piece as well that we took some external investment on board. Um, so we had a supporting coming, uh, a strategic partner come on board, Lift Brands, mm. um, who globally um, own Snap Fitness. Um, and, and they're someone that have been there and done that, right? They've got over 2000 units across the world. Mm. Um, they've got a great management leadership um, you know, team in place. They're supported by you know, a quite a large PE firm out of New York. And part of that investment for us was to have someone that we could share the journey with that could be a bit of a big, big brother to FitStop that had been there and done that, that you know, I say that would you know, allow me to fall over and, and, and skin my knees, um, but still allow me to make those mistakes, to learn from them, to get back up and push me forward. And, and that's what they've been since we've partnered with them. Part of that, um, I guess, overarching deal was how can we scale this to get to the US, to, to get to the UK and to really create a special global brand. And, and that's the path we're on. The first stage of that was you know, become a household name in Australia. Um, we're doing a fantastic job of that. We're, we're almost at capacity from a, a Queensland point of view. We've, mm. We're growing really quickly right now in WA and we're about to launch into Sydney. We purposely held back from Sydney. We've done you know, outer regions of, of New South Wales to date. We're about to launch in a big way into that Sydney market. We've got uh, 14 sold in New Zealand, one open, another four in development stage right now, so in build stage. Um, and, and once we get a really good handle on this with an incredible team based in Australia, um, then it's starting those conversations with what a team looks like on the ground in the US um, yeah, and, and further from that into the UK. So what, what's your big push into Sydney? How's it look like? Can you tell us any, give us any breaking news? What are you doing? Yeah, for, for us, it's, it's such a, a big market and a huge opportunity that you need to get right. And my yeah. learnings through this time has been Firstly is get the right people on board from early adopter stage. So when we talk about that, it's the first 15 to 20 locations, the owners in those locations, it's, it's vital. They're the OGs of FitStop in that region. So we've taken our time to vet the right people. We've actually got 18 sold in the Sydney region um, right now. We've also been able to work with a team on the ground in Sydney that's worked in the fitness space for the last five plus years yeah. that brings an enormous amount of experience on the ground. And that's the other consideration we made was we didn't just want it to be um, this bigger moving beast that was purely run from a Queensland based business. We wanted people on the ground to support it. So that's what we've done leading up to this. Um, we'll launch uh, in Sydney with our first location opening mid August. And then mm -hmm. from there, it's one a month that's opening in that area. 
um, with a huge amount of support. Um, some pretty cool ideas we've got at the moment for a brand launch. And, mm -hmm. and from there, it's just about activating and engaging with the local community, proving um, our training methodology and formula. You know, we, we're the home of functional fitness. We train the everyday athlete. We're very progressive um, in the way we generate a result for our members. Mm -hmm. um, we help build and form communities. So we're excited for it. I can imagine. So can you give us an insight to any of these cool ideas for your Sydney launch? Or, or I can ask maybe more broadly, what, you know, your marketing strategy, how, yeah. do you, how do you press the flesh and get people inside your door? Because obviously once they're in, they love it, but how do you get them yeah. in? Yeah, for sure. So we really focus, I guess, really, really simple strategy for me. It's what is the market looking for um, and what is that top of funnel approach? So how do we get organic reach, uh, build organic traction? And that's really testing the market. So you know, as we enter into, let's just say the, the Sydney market, oh, how about I talk to you, about, I'll, I'll give a real life example. I'd like to speak of what we've actually achieved rather than what we could. So mm. when we launched into WA, it was all about building brand presence. We had 10 sold over there. Uh -huh. um, and the first two we had lined up were absolutely incredible owners. You know, 10 out of 10, community driven, fitness focused, business savvy. It was like, mm. you know, it's, it's the perfect proposition. Um, when we launched into the market, we made sure first and foremost, we had a location locked in so we could talk about having credibility that we were genuinely coming, not just that kind of hot air approach of like coming soon and try to generate more leads, yeah. but a location locked in. We then, we then focused on what our organic strategy was. So we went to market from a, a social and digital um, presence. We also went a little bit wider and we did a couple of billboards. Um, we did some bus back activations. Um, and we did some localized events. We start to do local area boot camps. For us, it's not actually about going super wide with our marketing. It's going where our micro community is, mm. who the mayor of the communities are in that local area. So when we talk about that, it's any business you know that when you walk in knows your name. It's yeah. the butcher, it's the coffee shop, yeah. it's the hairdresser. How do we activate with those people that already have their communities formed that we get to plug into? like-minded individuals that want to support each other and all grow. Um, so we really focus on that top of funnel, the organic piece before we start doing performance campaigns. And our performance campaign funnel is about become an OG fit stopper. You know, yeah. yes, they get a discounted rate because we support them to be an early adopter. Mm. We do a three-stage funnel there. So we do OG1, OG2, then launch. From open day, we move to full fee. We never discount again after open day. Mm. Um, but we build those early adopters out. So on open day, when we launch... 150, 200 people coming in for sessions. We show them um, the FitStop formula. We introduce them to all their new friends, their new fit fitness family. Mm -hmm. um, we show them how they can refer new friends um, you know, and, and get free weeks as our campaign on top of that. Um, and we take them on a journey. We make sure that first kind of 12 weeks of their training cycle, they really understand what FitStop's about. They become raving fans. We then publish that media, their results. We get that social proofing and then it just takes off. So... Yeah, the, fir the first stage is for us a super important, really vital. Um, a big question we get asked all the time is, oh, you know, I'm a bit nervous about being one of the first fit stops in a new location um, or a new area. For me, that's the most exciting time. It's you've got the ability to bring personality to that area, mm. um, to be proud of what fit stop is and, and what it's going to be and, and start sprinting with it. I really like this. It's sort of a real old school nature to that that personal touch that you got. So, for example, if you were opening, you know, I don't know, Neutral Bay, Sydney, you know, if yeah. I go to you know local coffee shop, I'm probably going to see some some sort of activation in there of fit stop. So, I, I like the idea you 
you're personalizing it. What, what about your technology moving forward? I mean, obviously, Web 3.0, the metaverse, uh, yep. technology has been so crucial to get you through a tough time. Can it also help you moving forward to further riches? Yeah, absolutely. So like I was saying before, we, um, we've we really focused on that kind of, that I guess, the entire member journey. So, you know, when, when you do see us at the local cafe, you, see, you, know, you then see the five different digital ads and you click through that ad, you get to the landing page. From there, we can control the entire journey, um, the CRM strategy, the way we're speaking and how the member feels. Um, with our biggest priority is getting the, mem- uh, getting, uh, the new FitStopper to download the app and book mm-hmm. in a session. So at, a, at a, a network level, at a brand level, we can control the entire process to get someone to download. Mm. We then make sure then their first experience when they walk into a fit stop, we've lowered the barrier of intimidation. Um, from a tech stack point of view, our trainer knows that they're a first timer. They're like, Lockie, welcome, mate. I see it's your first time. I'm gonna pair you up with this person. We've collected enough data to understand enough about you to ask those questions. Yeah. We make sure your first experience is incredible. By the end of the session, that trainer will then offer you um, an opportunity to extend a paid trial for you to again gain more experience with FitStop and really understand that um, if you're a FitStopper or not, and if mm. FitStop is for you uh, for that next stage or chapter in your journey, and then it just rolls into the membership. So it's as simple as post-session, hey, look, if you want to book back in for a session, let's just open up your booking system, click on this session for tomorrow. It will prompt you then to, to Apple Pay, double tap, you're in. Mm. set and forget so really really important for us and that was our first stage of building our tech stack the next stage is where we're really excited about and that's understanding what your lifespan is or or what your journey is at fitstop and how we can keep you in a progressive state so Mm. yeah at the moment we do a six-week unstoppable series in our unstoppable series you get access to meal plans and and all that sort of stuff that you normally do but On top of that, we do a testing week in week one where we collate all of your data. So your your strength testing, your three rep max on bench press, back squat, deadlift, your 5K run time, a workout for time. Um, And then over those six weeks, we then suggest what percentage volume you're lifting at. So it hyper-personalizes your session to you. At week five, we should be lifting at 100 or running at 105% capacity. You hit those metrics, you get that endorphin rush, rush, that sense of achievement. At the end of week six, we do game day where it's a rep-based workout where you compete against all of your mates and you, know, and, and you try to beat your score kind of you know, uh, game day after game day or series after series. The next stage for us, um, I guess more to your point, is how do we collect more, more human performance data? I'm a big, again, going back to being a personal trainer and working with athletes. Mm. I know that if I'm getting amazing results from my athletes, they want to stay on and they want to recommend me to other athletes. We do the same as a franchise network. So we know the more data we can collect, more human performance data we can collect and show that you're in a constant progressive state and you're staying with us. Mm. One, we create more raving fans. So our referral numbers go higher, but two, we can collect human performance data to dictate business decisions to change and tweak campaigns, training methodologies, programming to ensure we constantly keep you in a progressive state. So for us, it's all about what benchmarking we can collect from a member and a business owner to show this is where we are right now and this is where we could be. The same way the philosophy I built out for a a high-performance athlete is the same way we consider our business model. 
So there's so much going on, so many moving parts. I mean, do you have, um, you know, how big is your tech team sort of monitoring this stuff in terms of, you know, if you see a shift, then, okay, we need to make a change in terms of our decision-making. But then yep. also, um, how are you keeping it fresh? I mean, you've got, I love the sort of the editorial or narrative arc of, you know, the way you've got sort of the unstoppable phase, then game day. Um, yeah, how do you keep these things fresh and how do you have them sort of flexible to move when you need to? Yeah, so firstly, we've got a great team of, of, of trainers and fitness experts that really start to feed in, I guess, things that we're looking at um, from a product and a member experience point of view. Mm. Um, the same thing that we did through that COVID piece, though, we stay so connected with all of our business owners. We've got yeah. so many passionate people just like I am about the fitness and business world that genuinely feed us back in. Hey, have we thought about this? Here's a new opportunity. We collate all of that data. So we're always a quite a dynamic moving wheel. We never want to be a bigger business that kind of, you know, doesn't listen and the ivory tower that pushes from the top. Mm. Um, secondly, from that, we've got a great internal team. So we've got a, a data analyst. And again, at, at our size, um, you know, we, we bring people on early just to identify and understand, you know, what we need to do and who we need to be next. Mm. Um, we've got a project manager internally that looks after our tech stack, um, but all of the work is done external. So, four developers, uh, external PM and a design team that just works purely on our dex, uh, tech stack, what the roadmap looks like, the new innovations we're bringing in to, I, I guess, be aligned with where we believe we need to be in the market, but also being nimble enough that we can take feedback on board and see the, the real, real time data that's happening now to make those tweaks and changes when we need to. Fascinating. Hey, what about from a metaverse point of view? Can you see a fit stop virtual world in five years, three years, two years? Yeah, what are you? What are your thoughts on that? I think COVID, uh, that whole COVID time, taught us a lot. Um, the, my biggest takeaway is human connection is vital. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's absolutely space for the metaverse in fitness. Um, what I'm actually excited about for the metaverse, and, and let's just say VR for now, yeah. is how could we expose FitStop to people around the world that are looking to open a FitStop? So from a business perspective point of view, I'm um, going to give you a few secrets here, but we, we, we invest heavily into our FitStop Academy, which is an L&D platform so that we can keep consistency from our trainers, our managers, our owners. Again, we pull enough data. We actually benchmark all of our locations on their business performance so we can identify, hey, these locations right now are not that strong in lead conversion hey guys, you should be jumping back on the academy and redoing the sales course. We'd love to see conversion rates go from 37% where you are now to the industry or our, our standard or average, which is 52%, right? Yeah, so right. we play with that. But imagine a world where we could plug in, um, you know, let's just say again, VR training and testing mm -hmm. where you can go through an academy and e-learning process to be onboarded and then retested mm -hmm. to raise our standard of execution with, member experience, product delivery, sales training, and all of that stuff. So mm. I'm probably closer to that world over um, the metaverse and us training together um, you know, in, in a, a virtual reality state where we can't physically touch, feel, sweat on each other. Um, yeah. That's where I'm probably more interested in at this stage. I'm with you on human connection, 100%. Hey, uh, before we go, two questions. So Fit Stop, where's this name come from, Pete? Uh, mate, good question. No one ever asked me. But um, <laughs> so remember, I, I grew up in the motocross world, in I, you know, motorsport, motocross. Yeah. Um, you know, that's how I had my two knee reconstructions. Anything to do with motorsport, you've got a pit stop, right? Uh, Come in, yeah. you get refreshed, you change your tires, all that sort of stuff. 
I actually started taking um, a bit of a setup to motocross tracks for Australian titles and Queensland titles and things like that, where I would take, um, you know, a, a masseuse, a physiotherapist. Um, I would do warm-ups for athletes. Um, and um, back then my business was actually called P2P, Power to Perform. Um, that was my personal training, um, you know, uh, athletic style training kind of business. And yeah. um, we added on to that, that it was P2P's fit stop because it was a take on pit stop. And yeah. then as we grew, we uh, we dropped the personal training stuff with P2P and Power to Perform and, and we, we, we kept the, the fit stop. So it's, you know, it, it's, the, it's the area you come in to, to get re-energized, to get back on track, to get your service and, and to get on with it. Mate, it works. It's just such a nice, short, sharp name. It just stands out very nicely. I, I can see this working very nicely in America. Hey, um, and before we go, the Toyota Corolla that now your lovely wife, formerly girlfriend, uh, sold. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tell us about that because I'm really interested for people listening to this that are sort of on the precipice of trying to embark upon something, you know, but they're a bit short of coin. They're like, oh, do I bite the bullet? You know, maybe they've got a Toyota Corolla they could sell or whatever the thing might be. Can, what's your lesson or what would your, your advice be to people that, as I say, are, are floating and sort of thinking, maybe I want to pull the trigger, maybe not. You did and you've reaped the re- tremendous rewards. What's your advice? I think I've, I've, I've always kind of stuck with this philosophy of burn the boats. If I believe in something genuinely enough that I'm going to do whatever it takes and I'm yeah. all in, um, the hardest part around that is convincing the people around you um, yeah. that they're going to be all in all yeah. in with you. I've been super fortunate, you know, Beck, my, my wife, you know, um, you know, always had my back a thousand percent. She uh-huh. knows if I'm, if I'm all in on something and believe it, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it work. And I think mm-hmm. that's the piece. It's don't go into anything half-assed. What are you going to sacrifice, um, you know, to get to where you need to be next and then mm-hmm. do that. Um, for me, it, it didn't stop at Beck's car. It's been, you know, that was to start, you know, the first group training business. It was then cool. How do we get to, to two locations? Um, you know, we were, we were fitting out our, our second location two weeks. We opened our second location a week before we got married. You know, Beck's there helping me, you know, paint roller the walls in between dress fittings. It's like, if you genuinely are back against the wall, all in, going to do whatever it takes, there is no other option. You're not going to lose, right? You're going to win. So do that always. Um, and so I'm excited about my next all-in move, um, which the world will find out about pretty soon. I love it. I love the burn the boats, the ancient philosophy. If you're on an island, you're about to be attacked, and you've got boats that you could float away and you could retreat, you burn them, so you can't retreat. The only option is to win. Um, yeah. I like this. Hey, so you just said there you've got some big things you're going to tell the world about. You can do it today, Pete, if you want. <laughs> Mate, we're waiting for, uh, waiting for a couple of more things to align, but um, what I will say is we will become a global brand in the next 12 months. I'm super excited to extend the FitStop philosophy to more and more people. I got into this business to impact, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives to create uh, an amazing platform for passionate fitness business owners to step into this space mm-hmm. and, and live their dream just like I am. So, mate, all in. Um, let's do it. Mate, congratulations. It's a great Aussie success story, a great, you know, Queensland success story. And I can just feel a big presence in the United States of America and people are going to be saying... Oh, where did that come from? They'll say Brisbane, Queensland. You're a great ambassador for your state and for your country. You're doing great things, Pete. Congratulations on everything you've achieved. I'd love you to come back on as you keep growing and progressing. Be great to touch base with you, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, bloody ripper. Pete Hull from Fitstop. Fitstop.com. Check him out. Sensational. Ooh.
What an amazing, amazingly driven uh, man that is. That is Pete Hull from Pitstop. Wrapping us up for today. Thank you very much for your company. We'll catch you next week on Sports Cutting Edge. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.